Thank you so much. Good morning. For those physically present, for those online, we want to be able to worship our Lord together now as we're turning in our Bibles. And we're turning in our Bibles to Acts chapter 17. And as we're turning to Acts 17, we're finding the Apostle Paul in Athens. And, well, we need to take a moment to recall just what we saw last week. It's as if we are following in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, aren't we? As we're making our way through these passages of Scripture. And last week, we noted one or two scenes where this is where the Apostle Paul stood. One was the Areopagus. The Areopagus. And as we make our way there, my tour guide, her name was Rainy, and she was ex- excellent in her ability to be able to take her understanding of ancient Greek history and relate it to modern day life with her New Testament in Greek open to us. The Areopagus was a setting in which the Apostle Paul would have been sharing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you narrow your focus even a bit more, you would find that he was positioned at a place known as Mars Hill. And Mars Hill, well, you see M-A-R-S, that's named after one of the pantheon of the false gods, and Mars. And so here we see now the high influence, the tremendous influence that false spirituality had upon the people. Now, as you and I are recalling what we were covering last week, We noted that Paul was waiting, he was waiting at Athens, and his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. And as we pondered that, we realized that the the original word for saw, where his spirit saw, uh, he saw that the city was full of idols, was theater. In other words, there was a religious theatrical production being produced where Uh, False gods were being substituted for the true God of the universe. Theater was on hand. Religious theater. And so he reasoned, stood in the agora, the marketplace, and he was dealing with worldviews. One, a worldview much like some of the uh, early days of America, the deists, where it was as if God simply wound up the clock, stepped back, and let it slowly but surely unwind. On the other hand, he was dealing with some who were like pantheists, where the tree is God, and this platform is God, and everybody and everything is God, a spirituality, a pantheistic oneness. This is what he was having to deal with as he was going to have to communicate biblical truth in this setting. He would have to understand the worldviews of these people that he was standing before, as do you and as do I in this culture that we find ourselves in. It was state-driven pluralism, and he's bringing a singular God into a pluralistic culture. Out of all that, then, what we heard was that they took him, these people, brought him, in verse 19, to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Paul's listening. 
And when you're engaging with the culture of today, listen. Watch. Observe. Because what these idols were in that culture were just simply substitutions. And this world is filled, what I will call, with substitution plans. As we said last week, the essence of sin is humankind substituting self for God. That was the temptation in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? You shall be like God. Which was one step away from you shall be God. A substitution plan offered by the evil one. But the flip side is that the essence of salvation is God substituting Christ for humankind. So what you have now are competing substitution plans that have shaped this world. The evil one has his. God has his. When Jesus substituted himself, dying on the cross to save us from our sins. So with the substitution issue before us, we pick up now in our reading, beginning in verse 22, as we continue on in the book of Acts. So Paul now is standing in the midst of the of the Areopagus. We just saw a picture of that. That's what he says. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, and this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him, find him. And he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine beings like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Pause. 
you're about to see three reactions to this presentation. Typical of humanity. Spot them. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed. You see. Among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So what I'm going to be doing with you in the moments to come as we talk about this together is that we're going to be looking at the authentic versus the counterfeit substitution plans of this world. Even Islam produces a, a, a substitution plan where at the last minute they claim a man was substituted for Jesus on the cross. So now, before us are a number of substitution plans, and I want you to begin thinking where it is in your workplace, where it is at school, where it is in your profession, where it is in your neighborhood, where you're dealing with true versus false substitution plans. And now ask yourself, how can I be able to find a way to build a conversation that will lead to Jesus Christ? Let's look to our Lord in prayer. So our Father, now what we want to do is to seek you. These are unique days. None of us are naive. We're watching the COVID spread, of course. Pray your hand upon the president. Pray your hand upon senators, congresspeople. Governors, and the host of people throughout the nation that are beginning to experience varying degrees of the effect of the COVID-19 pandemic. We're not naive. We are, we are aware. And somehow, some way, what we want to do is to take in the midst of these changeable times opportunities to communicate changeless truths. We need to be able to find our on-ramps for quality conversation. We're asking, Father, that you guide us and direct us now. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. As again now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let the Parthenon appear on the screen, if it would. Parthenon was a place where Paul would have stood and looked and pondered how a substitution was made in Athens, where there was a commitment, a devotion to the false gods of the Greek mythology. Behind all of that, there's an illustration that comes from D.L. Moody that stands out to me. Where he told the story of a young man who didn't want to serve in Napoleon's army. And when he was drafted, a friend volunteered to go in his place. 
substitution was made. Sometime later, the surrogate was killed in battle. The same young man was, through a clerical error, drafted again. You can't take me, he said to the startled officers. I'm dead. I died on the battlefield. Now they argue that they could see him standing right there in front of them, but he insisted that they look on the roll to find the record of his death. And sure enough, there on the roll was the man's name with another name written beside it. Well, the case made its way up through the courts, even getting the attention of Napoleon himself. We're examining the evidence, said Through a surrogate, this man has not only fought, but he has died in his country's service. No man can die more than once. Because of the substitution, therefore, the law has no claim on him. Now, the ultimate substitution took place when Jesus Christ died in your place, my place, for our sins. But what we want to do now is to look very carefully at the various substitution plans that have been floated throughout the course of time, including what's happening today, and find somehow, some way, the appropriate on-ramp in order to get to where we need to be to talk about who matters most, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, hang with me. Because there are five emphases that I want to draw for us this morning. And we're going to check them out. First is found in verse 24. That in a a world of competing substitution plans, we're going to emphasize that, number one, God is the creator of the universe. And now we begin, don't we? We begin with with verse 24. Paul's been standing in the midst of the Areopagus. Let me inch toward it. And he said to the men of Athens, I perceive that you are very religious. It's good. He's He's been very concerned. He's been respectful. He's building a common ground. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship that I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now when Paul says, I've spotted this altar to the unknown God, what fascinates us in this time period of the pandemic was that long before Paul walked into Athens, there had been a pandemic. And because of the fact that the Athenians felt as though they were under, they were vulnerable and they were under attack, medically speaking, they erected an altar to the unknown God because all the other gods just weren't working. They felt like they weren't being protected. Where do we turn? And so what they were left with was an unknown God altar that they established to ward off a pandemic. Paul picks up on this, you see. You see the cultural relevance now? 
because he's been listening carefully. And in verse 19, they had said, may we know what this new teaching is you're presenting. In verse 20, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Twice they've used the word we wish to know, so to speak. So he says, well, because you wish to know, let me address this whole matter of the unknown. I found this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, what therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. And here, then, is your first emphasis. That in a world of competing substitution plans, we emphasize that God is the creator of the universe. Now what fascinates you and fascinates me is that the Athenians had a substitutionary creation story. Just as in our culture today, evolution is the substitution for creation. And by the way, have you ever considered the connection between evolution and abortion? You take away God as the creator of the world, you take away God as the creator of the one in the womb, and now you are left with, well, somebody has got to be responsible for the creation of life, and so a substitution plan is put into effect, you see. Have you considered that connection? Know the culture well. We live in a culture of the unknown God, And so what Paul does now, he starts by saying in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. In the Athenian creation story, Prometheus was molded from clay. Sound familiar? What that means then is that they have substituted for Adam. What we find even today in this century is that people are substituting for Adam. Now, if you lose the first Adam, then you lose the connection with the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Everything hangs together. Likewise, when God talks about the creation, it leads to new creation people, you and me, you see. So now everything hangs together, and you've got to see the connectedness of all that is beginning to unfold here in front of our very eyes. They had a substitution plan that Paul was beginning to poke holes into. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made, you see, by men. What do you do with this? You and I are going to be involved in conversations day in, day out, particularly in uncertain times such as these, where people have got questions. Christians have tremendous opportunities in this day and age to be able to determine how I enter into conversation to talk about who matters most, what matters most. Now let's say you and I are talking to somebody who is overwhelmed by a sense of guilt and very conscious of the whole matter of sin, maybe raised in the church, but something has gone wrong in their life. And what they're grappling with is the question of, what can we do to fix this? I would say that person's close. And so what you're going to take is an on-ramp that is very close to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to get them there, because they're close. 
But there are going to be others in this culture, others in this culture who have not grappled so much with sin, not grappled so much with guilt. But they're looking around, and as they look around, they know something has gone wrong with this world. You're going to have to go back. Your on-ramp might not be the on-ramp that deals with redemption as your starting point. You're going to have to go back to what I will call the on-ramp of the fall, the fall of humanity. So when you see the rise then of cries for social justice, or as I am now seeing and in dialogue with some university students, climate justice, I find an on-ramp such as the earth is groaning in anticipation of the Lord's return. And that becomes my on-ramp. And so I begin to deal with what's gone wrong with this world, and then through dialogue move them towards the whole matter of redemption found through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. But there are going to be still others you're in conversation with. And they're grappling with that question of who am I? Self-esteem issues. Where did I come from? Issues of origins. In that case, what I'm saying is you're going to have to go back to the earliest on-ramp possible to get into what I call the conversational highway of life, the creation on-ramp. But remember that the evil one has substituted evolution for creation. And once he has done that, then you eliminate the connection between creation and new creation people so what I want to do then is to build a very intelligent conversation that begins to unfold where we grapple with the whole matter of the design and the designer who stands behind the design. And I thought about that when I came across this from a news outlet a decade or two ago. Louisiana, of course, is, its history has been immersed in Catholicism. So weigh that as you listen to this. A Louisiana lawyer sought a loan from a government agency on behalf of a client, offering a tract of land as collateral. The agency said it would grant the loan if the lawyer could show that his client had clear title to the land. A title search was made. Went back to 1803. But the agency said that it wanted the title to be cleared for the years prior to 1803. Well, the lawyer spent a frustrating month attempting to satisfy the requirement and finally wrote the agency officials this letter. He says, I am now able to satisfy your requirement that the title to this land be cleared for the years prior to 1803. Louisiana was purchased from France in that year. France acquired title to the land from Spain by right of conquest. Spain obtained the land through right of discovery ensuing from voyages made by Columbus. Columbus's expeditions were sanctioned and financed by the then reigning monarch, Isabella of Spain. Isabella, a pious and cautious woman, took care to protect her rights by asking and receiving the blessing of the Pope before she pawned her jewels to finance Columbus. The Pope is the vicar on earth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and it is commonly agreed that God made the world, including that part of the United States known as Louisiana. Only God could give you title clearance prior to creation. Did you follow the flow? Did you make the connection? 
Granted, I, I disagree with the theology of some that's found there, but they made their way, didn't they, to the necessary on-ramp then to begin to address the issue, as should you and as should I, that we are communicating that in the midst of this fallen world, there is an intelligent designer that has produced an intelligent design and when they say, what has gone wrong, then you inch forward from the creation to the fall. But you see, even the Athenians had a substitute for that. They did, you know, Pandora's box, which would explain evil and how it came into this world. Understand the culture. Paul had to. He addresses the issues at hand, should you, as should I. And as we do so, you can just imagine now what Paul was pointing at, where you are still in verse 24, where he had said, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Look once again at the temple of Zeus. He would be pointing at it at this point. And as he would point at it, they would have to think about the fact that the God that Paul is talking about can't be contained here. We've allowed our God to be contained there. We've got this limited, finite God. And what you and I need to be able to do is to be able to communicate in a fallen world that we've got limited, finite gods floating around in the midst of conversations and let's find an on-ramp, the creation on-ramp, to lead them to new creation people, but they need to be exposed to the false gods of this world in order to be able to fully understand the true God of this world, the intelligent designer who ultimately sent Jesus into this world to die for your sins, to die for my sins. So they're having to ponder this now. There's the temple of Zeus but he could be confined. The Apostle Paul is talking about a God who cannot be confined. Where is he going to go with this? Okay. He's on the superhighway. He took the earliest on-ramp, what I call the creation on-ramp. Deals with the questions, where did we come from? How did we get here? But he doesn't stay there. He's moving forward. And he moves forward. He brings out a second emphasis that's going to be found in verse 25. Not only is God the creator of the universe in 24, but God, furthermore, is the provider of all life. Verse 25. It goes on to say, Nor is he served by human hands. Now, they'd be looking to the left, They'd be looking to the right, and they would see all these false gods lining the streets of Athens. When you walk the streets of Athens, and I hope you have the opportunity someday in your life to be able to do so, picture now the false gods of Hermes, the messenger god in Greek mythology. And here now is the Apostle Paul, the messenger of the true God, walking in the, down the street in the midst to the left and to the right of these false gods. And he's now got opportunity to talk all the more about what matters most, who matters most. Nor is he served by human hands. And they're looking at all these gods that they themselves have created. 
they're going to have to come to grips with the fact that while Paul is saying we are created in God's image, these gods were created in their image. These gods are finite. Paul's God is absolute. And you know that pandemic, it took life. But the God of the universe that Paul is describing gives life. God is the provider of all life. And as I said a little bit ago, in this day and age, the Christian can intelligently make a connection between the philosophy of evolution and the emphasis of abortion. Remove God from the creator, and then the parent assumes that I'm the creator. And so then I choose, rather than the whole matter, it is God who would choose. He served here, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. God is not dependent upon us, but we are dependent upon God. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You're moving down the conversational highway. You pause. And you say to your friend, did you read John Krakauer's book, Into Thin Air? Tell us the story about climbers who were plagued in their expedition to Mount Everest during the spring of 1996. That the attempt to reach the summit resulted in tremendous loss, loss of life. Some circumstances were out of control, but fundamental mistakes cost them incredibly. And some of those who were unfortunately made while still within reach of solutions. One of those whose life was lost was Andy Harris, one of the expedition leaders. Harris had stayed at the peak past the deadline that the leaders themselves had set. On his descent, he became in dire need of oxygen. Harris radioed his predicament to the base camp, telling them of his need. They had come upon a cache of oxygen canisters left by other climbers, but they were all empty, he said. But those who had already passed by the canisters on their own return from the summit knew that they were not empty but full. And even as they pleaded with him on the radio to make use of the canisters, it was to no avail. Already starved for oxygen, Harris continued to argue that the canisters were empty. Here's the point. The problem was that the lack of what he needed so disoriented his mind that though he was surrounded by a restoring supply, he continued to complain of its absence. The very thing he held in his hand was absent in his brain and ravaged his capacity to recognize what he was clutching in his grasp. Athenians, God is here. 
God is omnipotent. God is eternal. God is unchangeable. He's here. Don't lose sight of it. This is where real life is found. So what we want to be able to say in the culture of death is consider the Christ of life. The one who was raised on the third day. But Paul's not there yet. Oh, he's going to make his way there, but he's, he's not making the resurrection his starting point. It's going to be his ending point, you see. Because they don't have a hook to hang that hat when it comes to the resurrection at this moment. They haven't grappled with why would one die and on the third day be raised again. He's going to have to lead them in that direction, as should you and as should I, if we're dealing with how to communicate effectively to a secular mindset. So you start with intelligent design. Behind us, the designer. There's your on-ramp. The earliest, the furthest back. God is the creator of the universe, verse 24. God is the provider of all life, verse 25. You take a deep breath. You're thinking. You're pondering. And you're asking, am I connecting now with where this person's at and the needs this person has? Draw them out. What weighs them down? What's creating their own disorientation? And isn't it interesting that the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the one who offers direction, offers direction to a culture of disorientation. You and I minister with disoriented people if they don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You see. They need the oxygen of eternal life. A third emphasis. Once you have gotten on the superhighway, you start with God as the creator of the universe. Second of all, God is the provider of all life. And thirdly, God is the ruler of all nations. Now you're up to verse 26, all the way through verse 28. And he made from one man every nation of mankind. Now, without naming Adam, he is referring to Adam. And what he's doing is he's poking holes in their creation story. Their creation story of Prometheus being molded from clay. And now what he's doing is offering an alternative to their false narrative as to how this world came into being by offering the true story of the eternal God who brought Adam and Eve into this world, you see. But you read on. He made from one man every nation of mankind. to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. They're going to have to pause now. And they're looking around, they're saying, at one time, Athens was the center of glory politically in this world. But we were defeated by the Romans. Oh, they let us keep our temples and let us keep our, our gods. Paul knows they're false. But there's this sense of faded glory. And maybe some people feel like that today. So Paul then inches forward with this. And he says in verse 27 that they should seek God. Those that are experiencing faded glory perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from us. For 
In him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets, your own poets, you see, said this. Look further. For we are indeed his offspring. You know what he's done? He has used a secular poet to illustrate an eternal truth and is there in God's inerrant word. I use this oftentimes in illustrations when I teach. And I've got a basis for it because Paul did. In fact, there are other examples in 1 Corinthians 15.33 and in Jude 9 and again 14.15. Just because I might quote somebody doesn't mean I totally agree with that person in all areas in which that person has written or functioned. But you and I find this as a means then to communicate effectively. They're saying, you know your stuff. You know, you know about that movie. You know about that, the lyrics of that particular song. Maybe you didn't go to that movie. Maybe you have not listened to that song, but you get World Magazine, let's say, and they do the review for you, and you mark it up, and now you can carry on a decent conversation in this culture of confusion. And they say, this, this person can connect. This person can relate. But now, what you see here is that God has established himself as ruler of the nations. And you can imagine Paul took a deep breath at this point and says, and by the way, speaking of which, take a look at the royal stoa. And they nod their heads. They used to be the headquarters for, for the Greek armies, for the Greek emperor. But lo and behold, the Romans came along and conquered. Faded glory. All that remains now are the ruins. What you and I need to be able to say is that even in a highly politicized culture such as ours, there is a sovereign ruler. And this sovereign ruler is in control of life, in control of this world, and making statements at the most surprising moments in time. George Bush recounts the time when, as vice president, he was representing the U.S. at the funeral of former Soviet leader Leonid Brezhnev. Bush was incredibly moved by a silent protest carried out by Brezhnev's widow, she stood motionless by the coffin until seconds before it was closed. And then, just as the soldiers touched the lid, Brezhnev's wife performed an act of great courage and hope, a gesture that must surely rank as one of the most profound acts of civil disobedience ever committed. She reached down and made the sign of of the cross on her husband's chest, the leader of the old Soviet Union. Citadel of secular atheistic power. Here the wife of the man who had run it all hoped that her husband was wrong and she was making a symbolic statement to the world. There was one greater who reigns. 
as the Athenians have got to look at the remains of the royal stoa. But you read on. You're up to your fourth emphasis. Because fourth, look at God as the source of the resurrection. In verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. In other words, God is not made in the image of man. Man is made in the image of God. He drills home the point. The times of ignorance got overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. But now, ponder this. When he was out in the Agoras, we noticed last week, the resurrection was his starting point. He's learned. Instead, he's going to make it his ending point. Well, it's true. The question is, what on-ramp are you going to choose to get to where you need to go? They weren't prepared at that moment earlier on to grapple with the resurrection. But now he's brought it to a point in time in the midst of his presentation. They are going to have to respond. The resurrection is important, Paul. Dr. Joseph Hartunian, former professor at a theological school, came to America from Armenia. And one day a friend said to him, your name is so hard to pronounce, it could hurt your professional career. Why don't you change your name from Hartunian to maybe Harwood or Harwell or something like that? The response, Dr. Hartunian said in Armenia, when my grandfather was baptized, They named him Hartunian, which means resurrection. I am Joseph Hartunian, and I will always be a son of the resurrection all my days. And there is Paul who had so resisted the teachings of the resurrection, now proclaiming the resurrection in of all settings, And Athens, whose gods couldn't deliver. But God can. Because three days later, he raised Jesus from the grave. Which leads us to this final, this final emphasis. That fifthly, God is the focus of all responses. So, three of them. They stand out. You spotted them. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And that will be true today, as it was true then, second camp. But others said, we'll hear you again about this. They want you to keep on explaining more. There's more to be understood. Third camp, 34, after he went out from their midst, some men joined him, believed, among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Amaris, and others with them, a little group, both genders. And now what you and I find at this point is that the Apostle Paul 
has already put a team together from the intellectual center, the educational center of Greece, to move on with him to be able to reason effectively of the one who three days later was raised from the dead. So where are we at? You've walked with me the streets of Athens. Let's take a look at Athens today. Appears on the screen. No, they still have their ruins. But it is a bustling setting. And if you and I decided to take in some presentations, we could go into the Atticus. And there in the Atticus, you will find this setting in which plays are produced. Another example of Athens today, where even if you've heard the name Yanni before, he's performed there. Great opportunity to get people in there to produce opportunities, plays, dramas, presentations of the one who died and three days later raised from the dead. And replace counterfeit substitution plans with the real plan. And who's doing that today? I've got some buddies who are doing it today. Look at the faculty that appear on the screen here. That is the Greek Bible College faculty and staff, some of whom went to school with me. And they are busy equipping people within that country who love Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to start churches, to share the gospel, to figure out a necessary on-ramp. And sometimes you're going to have to go further back, figure out your starting point, and use flexible methods with a fixed message and move people from the unknown to the known. Challenge the substitution plans and bring forth the supremacy of God found in Jesus Christ who three days later was raised from the dead and no longer are we dealing with a culture where we make God in our image. But once again, we are dealing with a culture where we understand that we were made in the image of God. The first creation leads to new creation. And now we are cutting edge, ministering as we're involved in producing new creation people for God's glory. Let's stand together. You've given us an opportunity to understand now how to minister effectively in a secular culture. You've shown a public school teacher how to minister effectively looking in literature, looking in science, looking in history at substitution plans, and then offering an alternative based upon solid evidence. While the Olympian religion faded in Greece, the biblical faith found in Jesus Christ functions effectively today. May we take everything that is found here as we enter into the superhighway of conversations, shift lanes when necessary, keep moving forward until we get to Jesus and lead them to saving faith in Jesus. And for this, we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.